The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech podcast feed. Ready for your weekly tech fix? Yeah. Want to know how technology sets us free? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, get ready because here it comes. You're listening to yeah. Sovereign Tech Woo. with your host, entrepreneur and technophile Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. Yeah. I love that, Brian Sovereign. And now, here's Brian. Something else. <laughs> Welcome to Sovereign Tech. It is I, Brian Sovereign, with you with a nice little opening there. You got to switch it up sometimes. You sometimes know? you got to make things. Yeah, you got to you got to change it up. Um, as you can obviously hear, I am being joined by the lovely and hyper intelligent producer of Sovereign Tech, Stephanie Murphy. Thank you for being on. Hi, Brian. Thank Hi. you for having me on. Oh, my my pleasure. You're you're really joined by me every week because I do your intros and outros. Yeah, you're really you're always there, mm-hmm. and that's really great. Is it really me? Is it um? Is it you know, if it's a recording of me, is it like I'm there with you every week? Yeah, I mean, you there's play? people who think Christ is still with them. Have you made me into he's... a sex bot? Not yet. I mean, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> you can just press the play button and I say wow, things. It's remote control. I can use my YouTube remote on my Android phone. Yeah. Maybe that... Oh, my. Wow. This Okay. I'm giving you ideas. I guess we better stop doing this yeah. on the air. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> um it is Sovereign Tech, and again, this is Brian Sovereign with you, and of course, Stephanie Murphy. Um, and if I sound a little funny, you know, sometimes even the golden stallion of the tech world can get a little sick. So, and not oh. in a good way, uh, you know, like... You have, you've had your mouth on too many microphones. That, that, <laughs> that's, that's probably what it is. <laughs> so, because, uh, you know, we're, you and I are just coming off of doing free talk live on Sunday, as we always do, along with our partner, the beautiful Mark Edge. You and think Mark is beautiful? He's a beautiful man. Are we going to have to talk about this more? No. <laughs> I, Mark and I have already settled it. And okay. He's married. And, yeah. Too bad. I know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, we do, we do host a uh, free talk live on Sunday evenings and, um, you know, maybe that gives us an, an expand, a chance to expand our immune systems because we're always being exposed to these microphones that a lot of different people talk into. Right. And so, you know, they have windscreens, right? Which catch their yeah, germs uh, and yeah. then they're right next to our faces. And- yeah. I mean, granted, they do a great job of like cleaning the the muffs, the muffs. The, they have very clean muffs yeah, at very free clean talk muffs live. of free talk live ian makes sure the muff that, is what the windscreen yeah, is called right, for the non right, the radio geeks out exactly. there exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> so anyway well thank you for being on stephanie i really appreciate it and yeah this is going to be fun thank you for having me back yeah no problem we well, already did one sovereign tech together right we did yeah i think it was episode five and now we're on episode 15 time flies it wow. does fly i love it um Anyway, why don't we get right into the story? Uh, this story is about Chinese super babies. Chinese super babies. Chinese super babies, and wow. this is coming from uh, Vice, uh, Vice dot com. And I bet you love the name of that website. Vice. Yeah. <laughs> do, do do I have vices? Well, I think it's fairly obvious that you are very into opulence. That's true. You uh, throw caution to the wind when it comes to 
uh, your sinful nature. You <laughs> never repent. Uh, <laughs> I have I have such a reputation. I love it, and and I I hope I live up it to it every day. It, uh, yeah, I I really do. And uh, yeah, you know, I I loved Miami Vice growing up. I thought that was talk about opulence. Yep, and like over the top and great music. But anyway, unfortunately, I still remember the music. Yeah, Jan Hammer, child and, of the eighties. Yeah. Yep. That, best children ever um <laughs> but yeah jan hammer did the music for that and that stuff was absolutely classic he also did the music for the movie knight rider 2000 but anyway that's getting off topic um so we have these chinese super babies in the story from vice uh, do we have them yet I alex think... aurora no we don't have them yet not and yet we may not but anyway they uh what There's this a plan. Is, is there is a plan and uh, the article is called i gave my dna to a company in china so they can manufacture genius babies. Um, it's not exactly news that China are, are setting themselves up as a new global superpower, is it? While Western civilization chokes on its gluttony like a latter-day Marlon Brando. I don't think... It chokes on its gluttony? Yeah. See, I read this article, and I'm just, I just want to issue a forewarning to all of our poor listeners who are going to be hearing this, because... I previewed this article and yep. actually I read it on my own show pork therapy last week. Mm -hmm. um, it was kindly suggested by Orion. She's a listener. So we, we want to just say hi to her. Yes, absolutely. She's great. Um, but I read the article and I was kind of disappointed to realize that it had sort of a anti China uh, flavor to it. It had this, this sort of sentiment that you hear a lot in the U S yeah. of like, Oh, the Chinese, they're this really scary global superpower. They're going to outcompete the U.S. and then we're all going to lose our jobs and we'll right. all be speaking Chinese or something like that. Yeah, the, or they're going to invade and it's, quote, Red China is going to take us over, you know. The China <laughs> comes. Yeah, gonna, it's yeah. that rhetoric. And yeah. I just don't, I'm sorry, I just don't buy it. Um, no, I don't either. I know a lot of Chinese people of Chinese descent or yep. even from Taiwan or other parts of Asia. Yeah, and, actually, I love Taiwan. Uh, beautiful place place but, i've never been there but it yeah. seems pretty cool to me and in fact i've just for the past five years i've worked with you know some taiwanese people that were you know great speaking of which if any of our listeners don't know you are now dr stephanie murphy and i did not i mean that's why i'm having this article here because i have a doctor with me i have a phd Yay. <laughs> which is great <laughs> that's um, right i just recently um received my phd and it's in biochemistry for my PhD thesis project, um, it involved doing neurosurgery on mice right. and then testing a new treatment for Alzheimer's disease. And it was like m mouse, a mouse model of Alzheimer's disease. Incredible. That's, that's the last five years of my life in a nutshell. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, so you're the perfect person to have for this. And we have an update so, to this. Oh, but already, I, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I just wanted to finish with the, the thing about China. Like you yeah. hear this sentiment a lot, like there are people in America who don't want to buy Chinese made products because they'll say, oh, it's the cheap Chinese stuff and they use slave labor and they are terrible people. And most of that is not true. But, but yeah, most right. of it isn't true. And even so, if if you want to help people in China improve their standard of living, buying products from them is a great way to do that, right? Because it enriches people yeah. there. Yeah. And and I I feel, I mean, yeah, I, I have no real problem with China. I mean, I have problems with governments, but I have problems with every government on the mm -hmm. planet, you know. No, but, but the people the, just by virtue the, of being born on a certain yep. landmass, they're still people. Yeah. They're still human beings. Yeah, they're pretty I, much exactly the same as you are. Exactly. I have no problem with the Chinese whatsoever. I'm glad you brought that up about the bent that this article is going to have um, because, I mean, the, I definitely don't endorse that, not by a long shot. Yeah, I just wanted to make so. it clear that we were not um, we we're not in agreement with that uh, sure. sentiment. 
Sure. So you talked about this on your show. Your show is uh, is Pork Therapy mm-hmm. at PORCTherapy.com. Yeah. And, uh, but we have a bit of an update if, for it now for, for the show, but we'll, we'll rehash over, you know, what uh, this article now. And I mean, pretty much what's going on, is, let's see. Uh, There's a company in China, right? It's called, uh, what is it, BGI or something? Yep, BGI Shenzhen. Hey, that's pretty good. I remembered it. I'm yeah, looking bravo. at this article right bravo. now. <laughs> <laughs> but this company is basically sequencing a bunch of people's genomes, mm-hmm. and that means they're... De- 2,000 of the world's smartest people, it says. Well, yes, that is what they claim. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're doing this massive genomic sequencing product, project, and they're going to uh, sequence the genomes of intelligent people. And I assume, although they don't say this in the article, I assume they have to have some controls. So the controls are going to be dumb people. Right. <laughs> they don't say where they're getting their DNA. Hey, would you give us a sample of your DNA? We need a stupid person to compare to see <laughs> to see who's the most intelligent. To see what genes determine intelligence, which you don't have. I mean, what what is? (laughs) Wow. I I don't know if they're going to be comparing, like you know, just previously sequenced genomes, but that could be biased because they're probably people of above average intelligence. I still think we don't know who the original human genome uh, sequence was. Right. Uh, As I understand, people speculate that it was um, Craig Ventner. You know that. Uh, from Solera Genomics, which was oh, the yeah. private company that was competing with the NIH to um, the U.S. you know, government, basically, mm-hmm. to sequence the first uh, human genome. So people speculate that it was his genome that was sequenced, the CEO, the guy leading this project. But right. anyway, um, technology has advanced a lot over the past 10, more than, maybe more like 11 years since the human genome project was completed okay. and published. And now we can sequence people's genomes you know, way more easily and quickly. And you can do these sort of massive sequencing projects. And there are all different ways, you know, kinds of ways to determine what genes people have. But what it sounded like this company in China wants to do is sequence a bunch bunch of people's genomes and then pick out the genetic variants or the polymorphisms mm-hmm. in different genes and pick out which genes they are because they don't know which genes they are. So there can be like different variants of, of a particular gene, but they don't even know they don't know what variants to look for, but they don't know what genes to look at either, if that makes sense. Yeah. So they're they're going to try to determine which, uh, which variants of which genes determine human intelligence. And once they have that information, they are going to offer a service to parents in China where they can get in vitro fertilization. And of course, they have this one child policy. So probably a lot of people will want to do this and select the best embryo mm-hmm. or what they think is the best embryo. And so they can get in vitro fertilization at a certain stage. They take those embryos, their you know, blastocyst stage. So they just only have like eight or 16 cells or something like that. Right. And they take one of those cells at when, you know, at that stage, each cell can become anything. So it doesn't matter. And they just take one of those cells and then they, they, um, genotype the embryo they they pick out you know which gene does it have and so in this way what they're saying is that they're going to select for the embryos that have the most um, chance of being predicted to be intelligent based on their genotype based on the genes that they have Mm -hmm. and they're going to let parents choose what is predicted based on their information to be the most intelligent embryo right and so and this is a generational plan because they're expecting each generation to go up like 15 iq points from the parents being able to choose this 
That's um, what they say. Yeah, that, but, that's I the mean, idea. That, w- that would be pretty significant if like the average IQ of each generation would increase by 15%. And of course, there is this, um, what is it called? It starts with like a K, I want to say. I'm sorry, it's it's named, it's a, an eponym, and I can't remember what it is. But hmm. basically, it's the something effect. And what what that is, is that over time, the average people's average IQ has been going up. And nobody really knows why. Okay. So people are getting smarter overall, according to this um, effect. And now I, I think what this points to perhaps is the influence of environment on intelligence, right? Right. Because intelligence is more than just what genetics you have. I mean, the person who was writing this article that you have there on Vice mm-hmm. um, was saying that basically, oh, you know, you could potentially determine anything about an embryo from how politically, you know, liberal or conservative it is to mm. the hair color, to the intelligence, to whatever you want. Right. And so obviously this person thinks it's all about genetics. And to a certain extent, like, yeah, there is some evidence that shows that there are certain genes that are correlated with, you know, personality traits, you know, uh, on the Myers-Briggs scale or things like resilience. When someone Mm -hmm. encounters trauma, how quickly do they recover? Or even things like how politically liberal or conservative people are. I mean, that's kind of scary when you think about it, that there is evidence that certain genes are associated with political beliefs. So some people are born status. (laughs) (laughs) I think they've only looked at... um, sort of within the status paradigm, you know, I don't think they, I don't think anyone has ever attempted to find a gene that is associated with liberty or or the love of liberty. But, you know, if they ever find it, I guarantee that you and I will, will have it, (laughs) Brian. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, probably a lot of people who listen to this show will, will have it too. Well, go ahead. But the thing is those, the things like personality traits or intelligence are not solely determined by genetics. The environment that somebody grows up in and their experiences have a huge effect on them and they Mm -hmm. shape the person who they become. There's also something, there's a genetic basis for that too. It's called epigenetics, where um, the expression of certain genes can be sort of turned up or down like a volume switch on like the slider on the mixer board that we have right here in the studio Mm -hmm. can be turned up or down. And that's that's hardwired, that's encoded um, on your DNA based on environmental things that you experience. Right. Now, see, th- this is this is kind of like what came to my mind was that where, okay, who are they actually getting this from and what is like their gauge of intelligence? Because, <laughs> you know, and I think you mentioned this when you talked about it on your show on Pork Therapy. Um, I think you might have even quoted me, but I was like, if they're just getting people from academia, they're just getting the hard workers. They're not getting the brightest people in the world. You know what I mean? Or at least not guaranteed the brightest people in the world because myself, I mean, you know, I've been around a bit and some of the smartest people I've ever met were not even close Mm -hmm. to being in academia. They, they, in fact, maybe they were so smart. They knew to to kind of stay away from it, you know, because (laughs) it wasn't for them. Yeah. And, and these guys are like surf bums and all this stuff. And you could talk to them, but they would tell you, I mean, they could explain special relativity to you. Like there is no tomorrow. They could lay it all out. They could lay out string theory up to 11 dimensions, the whole business. They can, they can tell you all this stuff because honestly they read all day, Yeah, you know, or they're, they're just hanging out or whatever and just figuring out things just by seeing them and experiencing them. And they have the space to be creative, right? Yeah. Like they're not confined within this academic environment. I mean, yeah. I guess that gets at the question of how, how is intelligence most appropriately defined, right? Is right. It, does it have more to do with creativity? Does it have to do with reciting facts? Does it have 
the you know have to do with problem solving or the ability to put information together? Does it have to do with memory? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure all of those things factor into it, but it's really hard even for me to come up with a very um, concrete definition of intelligence. Right. And even there's that famous book by the Harvard um, psychologist who who suggests that there are multiple different types of intelligence. I think I want to say it was six? something like seven or yeah, even I, I know eleven what you're talking about. different yeah. types of intelligence. Yeah. And so somebody might be very um, socially intelligent, right? Like they they know how to communicate very well. They know how to get along with other people, mm-hmm. relate to other people. Um, that their IQ in that level, excuse me, in that axis might be very high, right. but they're not interested in math, right? Yeah. <laughs> or somebody might be um, very might love solving puzzles, but they don't like languages. Yeah. You know, and so so China has a very black and white view of what exactly intelligence is and well i think we have to remember it's not china it's not the chinese government right it's this company bgi okay. they are in china but they don't represent all of china right no right and they don't but, re- represent the government but they're probably hoping for a government contract yeah well the article does say that since the 70s a lot of people in the government have been wanting to not manage the economy they've been wanting to like manage like society mm-hmm. you know and and people and and this is part of that making them smarter so while not directly using the word eugenics like perhaps the united states did 100 years ago yeah um you know it, the idea is kind of there in their government, I think. And yeah, well, um, if you think about a country as a tax farm, mm-hmm. which a lot of people do, right? It's sure. like uh, people, you know, slaves produce more when they believe that they're free. And so that's what governments do. They've found a way of en- enslaving people, but they're kind of like free range slaves because they believe that they're free to earn money and they can keep most of what they earn. But, right. it, you know, it, a lot of it ends up going to taxes. And so... I'm sure that the Chinese government would love to have more intelligent people who produce more. Sure. You know, and maybe maybe in that sense, they would be glad to select for the people who have the hard, you know, the hardworking gene. Although I think probably a lot of that is also cultural. Yeah, I I think that could. But they would probably love to have people who are more productive so that they can bring in more tax revenue from them. Yeah, absolutely. And now, but they're not the only ones. This is the update. And apparently Armenia is looking into doing this as well. Um, they're wanting to make their society smarter. You know, their 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 people smarter. Mm-hmm. But apparently, in this case, they just want to make them do mandatory. They wanted to have it have mandatory chess. Yes. Taught. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds absurd when you think about it, right? When you just hear it. But we've got a follow up to this story that actually it was also given to us by Orion. So thank you, Orion. You're here. Um, and yeah, she just finds the the best um, show prep. I really like her suggestions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Armenia is. This is also from Vice. Why Armenia is more likely to engineer super children than China? And uh, you know this this author is saying instead of trying to genetically engineer the children in Armenia, the country is going to institute this policy. The government is going to institute this policy where there's mandatory chess for two hours a week, every week for two years uh, in third and fourth grade. And of course that's leading up to like, I mean, I've heard this for years that, you know, people that play chess and I think there's some truth to it because chess teaches you, chess isn't a game that's straight ahead. Chess is a game where you have to think three moves. 
ahead at least. And, you know, that does create a certain degree of thinking. I can believe there's that. some logic. in So, there too. yeah. So I think Armenia's chances of getting a smarter society are probably better than China's. In fact, I think the article they're made going, that claim. They're going for the nurture instead of the nature. Right? Exactly. Like it's it's if you think about it in that frame, right, like the nature versus nurture. Right. But I think what all of these people are missing and this really um, bothers me, actually, is there if they want to teach children logic and if they want to make more intelligent children who have a better a greater sense of well-being mm-hmm. are, and are more creative happier more productive individuals um parenting why there's an there's a correlation between spanking and IQ right there's a dose dependent effect of physical violence used on children that when they are hit or spanked the more the more that they are hit or spanked the less intelligent they they become and yeah. it's it's dose dependent so like if you beat your child a little bit they become a little bit less smart than children who were not beaten at all if they if you beat your children a lot they become a lot less intelligent sure uh, in terms of iq and so i mean there is actual research that already shows that and the fact that nobody's focusing on the effect of parenting on the intelligence of children or well, even, cer- even certainly nutrition. governments wouldn't want to, you know, like the Chinese government, the Armenian government, they wouldn't want to look into, wait a minute, we're not going to teach them punishment and rewards, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, because then they might produce, you know, free-thinking children who would rebel against yeah, the government. Yeah, might say, wait wouldn't... a minute, why do I have a government? Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. So, yeah, it's it's just like, oh, let's, you know, ignore the most important issue or the most important, probably, determination of children's intelligence not only their intelligence but their happiness sure and let's make them play let's force them to play chess i mean (laughs) that's just kind of mad maddening to me i agree i mean i think any of this like everybody talks about central planning like when you're at least even when you're building a city and how that just never ever works out and for some reason these people think that central planning would work with people when they can't even, <laughs> when it doesn't work with inanimate objects. Right. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's pretty, pretty I think mind-boggling it's wishful stuff. thinking. Very much, very much. And they would love to be able to control people. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and it, it, it just, to, to me, it smacks of military style training yeah. where they got to break the individual down, yep. where everybody's got to do. I mean, I mean, public school itself kind of does that, I think. Yeah. Um, but but this is just taking to it the to the next level. Oh yeah, very similar to ways. the military and or jail <laughs> or jail. Yeah, they're all this. It's all systems of control. You know, it all works out the same way. Um, but this is amazing that that Ar- Armenia is doing it too. And you know, I wonder. I mean, on a, on a low level, you know, is it safe to say that the United States, like with public schooling, is trying to, you know, create like a? I mean, like they're trying to do social engineering. Yeah. Did you stop because um, it popped into your mind that everybody says, oh, you know, the American public schools are just dumbing people down? Is that yeah, why you, th- yeah, that you sort hesitated? Of thing. Right. Yeah, because right. I, I got that, too. So, I mean, if they're trying to do social engineering, which it seems pretty, you know, if they're trying to do social engineering, either it's working really well because the goal is to make people who are just obedient and not very creative and not right. very free thinking. Right. That's what a lot of people say. Yeah. That the goal isn't to make intelligent people. The goal is to make people who follow orders well. And mm-hmm. That's pretty scary, right? Oh, sure, sure. Or, or it's working very poorly if they're trying to make intelligent yeah, folks. You know, I got to say, I wonder if it's working. When I think about it sometimes, I wonder if it's working poorly. Because 
just when I was in school, how many kids went off to detention and had ISS and OSS and all this stuff because they just didn't care. <laughs> so, I mean, it almost created rebels. Anyway, we'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with me, Brian Sovereign, the man who always wears triple black. Sovereign Tech is a show about science and technology and how it can set you free. Remember, Sovereign Tech only endorses businesses and products that we genuinely believe in and support ourselves. If you have a product or website that you would like to have reviewed, you can email the show at SovereignTech at Hush.ai. Please keep in mind that the reviews on Sovereign Tech pull no punches. Thanks for listening. Tech Roulette. Want to play? Oh, it is time for Tech Roulette, and I do want to play. Um, <laughs> I am joined today. Uh, this is great because I- I'm joined today by a biochemist, Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Who's the- that? Oh, <laughs> oh, it's me. Also, the I mean, you have so many titles now because you're also the lovely and hyper-intelligent producer of Sovereign Tech. I love. I like that one the best. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> See, now you, you're never going to know on this episode, you're not going to know if I'm saying the voiceovers live or if I'm doing it recorded. Yeah, because exactly, you're right here. Yep, I'm right here. Yeah, yeah. Just that's, leave them guessing. Well, we'll leave them guessing. <laughs> um, so so because, because I do have a full-fledged biochemist here uh, and safe to say a neurosurgeon so on mice on mice but you could, but you could even say mice are more difficult than humans sure, because so small. they're smaller yes yeah. maybe not as many connections i don't know but yeah anyway just, they're a little yeah yeah <laughs> the, the, the hardware is a little bit uh it's version 1.0 yeah um so so we're doing a little more sciencey show today even though uh in the past a lot of times i'll do shows that just seem like they're pure science more than they are technology because sovereign tech is a show about science and technology and how it can set you free and this article uh, is from slate and it's the secrets of breast milk oh that sounds really fun yeah i'm glad you picked this yep and it's by nicholas day and this came to us from our friend katie right yes that it is thank you katie yeah this is she knows all about milk she she does (laughs) she's a doula yeah yeah she's a birth coach yep the real deal it's you know i love it sovereign tech has you know at the moment, it may be somewhat of a smaller audience, but it is the most intelligent audience, I think. That I, Definitely. Yeah, it, it's fantastic. <laughs> um, anyway, we'll get, we'll get right into it here. Uh, when we come out of the womb, we make our Wait, way... Wait, hold on. Ahead. We have to make some breast jokes before we... We have to make breast jokes? Yeah, okay. like, um, like we got to squeeze every last drop out of this article. We will. I mean, this is the breast show I, I've ever done. <laughs> oh, whoops. <laughs> yeah, well, the cream is going to rise to the top. In this that's episode. right. That's right. Um, Definitely. In fact, actually, we're getting picked up. We're on LRN.FM, but I think we're going to get picked up on uh, KTIT, which is <laughs> K. Uh, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not an original on my part. There, some listeners may know what that is, and if you do know what that came from, email me at sovereigntech at hush. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, okay. Okay, I think we can start I think, now. I think we but, can start. You know, if you want to milk some more out of this, then yeah. Just say your puns on the way. That's that's right. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll try and squeeze this uh, this article in here. Um, when we come out of the womb, we make our way to the breast. Cool. We enter the world knowing we're mammals with milk on our minds. Uh, but even as grown-ups, we have never known exactly what's in that milk, or as strange as it may sound, what the point of it is. For decades, milk was thought of strictly in terms of nutrients, which makes sense. Uh, milk is how a mother feeds her baby, after all. But providing nutrients turns out to only uh, to be only part of what milk does, and it might not even be the most important part. 
Mother's milk is food. Mother's milk is medicine. And mother's milk is signal, says Katie Hindi, uh, or maybe that's Hind, Katie Hind, an assistant professor of human evolutionary biology at Harvard. Uh, she also writes the fascinating blog, Mammals Suck. Anyway, you, you can find that in the article. <laughs> that's really cute. Yeah, that, that's no, that's a pun. I can't believe we didn't think of that. No, that this that, article that, is going to suck. A, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, when people find out I study milk, they automatically think we already know about it or it's not important. And I'm like, no, we don't know about it. And it's super important. But first, a disclaimer, please, conversations about lactation always seem to require disclaimers, especially if you happen to be someone who will never, ever lactate. Uh, in my new book, Baby Meets World, I write about how, contrary to myth, not nursing has never been a death sentence. Hundreds of years before halfway decent formula, infants were fed gruesome substitutes for breast milk, uh, mush bread and beer. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, gross. And oh, it's beer. That sounds nutritious. Bread and beer. Bread and beer. All the car. Oh. Here you go, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Let's oh. mess with your head right from when you're born. Um, and although many more died than those who were nursed, many also survived. Yikes. So the lesson of new science of milk isn't that formula is some sort of modern evil. Uh, it isn't modern or evil. It's that milk is really complicated and evolutionarily amazing. Here's how complicated. Some human milk uh, oligosaccharides? Oligosaccharides. Thank you. There we go. This is why I had the biochemist here. Uh, <laughs> simple sugar carbohydrates uh, were recently discovered to be indigestible by infants when my son was nursing, whose ole... oligosaccharides. oligosaccharides. By the way, those are um, like a sugar. Uh, so there can be sugar molecules. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're by themselves and sometimes they're linked with other um, sugar molecules. Okay. So, for instance, oh gosh, um, and we've paused for me to look this up, so uh, some <laughs> biochemist I am, but I just wanted to make sure this was correct. Sucrose, which is, you know, just common sugar that mm -hmm. we're all used to, is actually um, a disaccharide. It's two sugar, two different sugar molecules, and it's a glucose and molecule and a fructose molecule, and then they're linked together by this, um, this uh, disaccharide bond. And so you can, oligosaccharides means like many, so many sugars. Right. So it's like chains of sugars, like many different sugar molecules all linked together. Okay. Usually those are like fibers or different carbohydrates from plants. They can be starches. Um, and the linkages determine whether it's digestible by humans or not. Gotcha. So for instance, something like fiber that comes from a plant is not digestible by humans because we can't break down the um, the bonds the oligosaccharide bonds, we can't split off each molecule of sugar from that big, large chain of sugars, but the bacteria in our intestines can. And so that's why fiber can make you fart sometimes. Gotcha. Because okay. the bacteria are eating it. Yeah. So, so that's what the, the article saying is they weren't meant for the baby and they were meant for the bacteria in his gut, which uh, right. thought they were delicious, like you were just saying. Yeah. So that's really important because babies... Uh, from what I understand, babies get their gut bacteria from their mother and from their other family members. And then they're colonizing the baby's gut. And that's really important because bacteria do all kinds of jobs inside the guts of humans. Mm -hmm. Actually, when we're adults, we have like 10, uh, I think 10 trillion bacterial cells in our bodies, but we only have 1 trillion human cells. Right. So we have like 10 times more uh, of course, the bacteria are smaller than our cells, but we have more of them than we have of us, which is crazy. So they're a huge part of our bodies and um, having food for them, you know, that 
that we can't digest, but they can to help them grow and establish a colony inside the baby's gut is probably super important. Yeah. In fact, that's what the article says, is that mothers are not just eating for two. They're actually eating for two times 10 to the 11th power Yeah, because they have to feed all, you know, all those uh, intestinal micro, you know, microbials, whatever. Um, and bugs, bugs. Right. And that's what's meant by milk serving as medicine. And that's only scratching the surface. So the, so breast milk satisfies all that amazingly. Okay. Uh, behind primarily studies the food and signals signal elements of milk. The signal is in the form of hormones that are exerting psycho- physiological effects in the infant, she explains. Infants have their own internal hormones, but they're also getting hormones from their mother. They're binding to receptors in the babies, and we're just starting to understand what those effects are. Uh, Hind works with uh, rhesus... Rhesus? Rhesus? Mac... Oh, rhesus macaques. Those macaques. are a kind of monkey. That's it. I, I mean, I could probably figure these words, but like <laughs> with my nose stuffed, it's it's a rough one. Anyway, okay. And she's tracked the effects of the hormone cortisol in their milk. Cortisol is often thought uh, thought of as the stress hormone, but its function is far more varied. And Hind has found that the amount and especially the variation of cortisol successfully predicts how the infant uh, macaques go on to behave. It's a stunning finding. The, comp- the composition of early milk seems to mold infant temperament. But, and here's the twist, the males, which are more sensitive than the females, uh, roughly the more cortisol, the more bold and exploratory the male rhesus uh, macaques were. Rhesus macaques. Rhesus macaques. Monkey. Monkey. <laughs> Such sex-specific variations in milk, possibly, quote-unquote, programmed by the placenta during gestation, may be common. Now, that's weird. Yeah. I want to stop on that. So, I'd, basically, they're saying that the milk can affect the behavior of the baby. Based on gender. And that, yes, and that there's a sexual dimorphism in that, in that males are more sensitive to the levels of cortisol than the females are. Okay. Well, let's finish up the article quick and then we can talk around that more because I find that pretty interesting. Um, Just because sons are better are getting better milk doesn't mean they're getting more. Um, It looks like they're getting very similar total calories. So why do sons get fattier milk? Uh, It looks like they're getting very similar. uh, Oh, wait. Oh, did you skip ahead? No, that's okay. Uh, In Rasus, well, it says in humans, there are early data suggesting that mothers produce fattier milk for boys than girls. So, okay. Daughters stay in their social groups their whole lives, hind notes. They form a bond with their mother that only ends when one of them dies. Uh, So it might be that mothers are nursing their daughters more frequently, and that helps establish this bond. In contrast, the sons end up leaving the group, and fattier milk means they nurse less often, which means they can spend more time playing with strangers, developing skills they'll need in later life. Uh, The milk, in other words, reflects and cements the social structure of re- Monkeys. Monkeys. Okay. Uh, so, okay. So they're saying that now they're saying that um, for male children of these monkeys, the milk contains more fat and that they're nursed less frequently than the right. female monkeys. So that they can because, go away. Yeah. Because the males are going to go away. So that's, that's really interesting to me. I hope they're not trying to say that that translates to humans because i wasn't aware of any anything like that yeah there now there's a book out there like or there was a very popular book that said something to the effect that boys go and explore yeah you know, and girls stay home and mm-hmm. all this stuff and that got refuted i thought pretty well at least on a psychological level so but that's what's kind of concerning me is that this is saying no 
evolutionarily, boys do go off. Well, in monkeys, though. That's the thing. Monkeys are not humans. Gotcha. And in fact, even within um, monkeys and apes, different species behave very differently. Think of chimpanzees and bonobos, right? That's a great point. So the the point is, I think people will hear this and they'll say, oh, you know, boys go off and explore and girls stay at home in these monkeys, according to this data. Mm -hmm. That must mean it's true for humans. And that's a big temptation. And perhaps even those conclusions may be colored by the researchers' perceptions of male and female. Well, there may be cultural bias involved, I'm sure. Right. So, like, the researcher, the researchers could be, like, putting those conclusions onto the data that they see. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the fat content of the milk. Oh, it's because the boys, you yeah. know, it's because the male monkeys go off and explore while the, when the females stay home. But, you know, A, we don't know that this applies to humans just because it's true in these monkeys. If it's true in the monkeys... Mm-hmm. Right. Like it may and it may not even it may even be uh, influenced by the researchers biases and yeah. notions of gender. Yeah. But you raise a great point, And this is one I, I bring up to a lot of people um, it, about bonobos and chimpanzees mm-hmm. is that, well, we're a lot like chimpanzees and, you know, we you know, we, we can be kind of violent and we can act out on things and all this stuff when we're just as close evolutionarily. We're just as close to bonobos. Correct. As we are to chimpanzees. Yes. They're we equidistant. Both, both share about, you know, some percentage of the same. And it's very close. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, 99.7% of the DNA is the same. Exactly. And there's an interesting book out there that, that kind of talks about this. It's called Sex at Dawn by Christopher Ryan. Yes. That talks about and this Kassilda a little bit. And Jetha. Yeah, exa- thank you. Yeah, <laughs> he kind of takes all the credit. Yeah, she he's, never he's talks. The, no, I've he's never... the loud one, and he takes all the credit. Um, <laughs> I've heard so many interviews with him, and none with her. Yeah, I've never heard one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I mean, but it's great work, and I mean, it's something I had kind of contemplated before anyway, just because I remember growing up, I thought the bonobos were so awesome because they had like orgies, and they do all these wild like sex acts, and mm-hmm. it's and I'm thinking, you know. Wait a minute, because because that's that's the big claim that a lot of religionists and superstitious people want to make is that, you know, um, this doesn't happen in the animal kingdom, like homosexuality and all this stuff. Oh, and orgies. And oh, orgies it's not natural. Everything. It's not natural <laughs> when it's as natural as you can get. Yeah. You know? And not and, just in bonobos. No, nope, like dolphins do it, too. So many species exhibit homosexual behavior. Right. It's not even funny. Right. It's, and and they, you know, they'll hold up penguins even. There was that movie, The March of the Penguins. Yeah. They'll hold up penguins and say, oh, you know, like church groups were going to see March of the Penguins yep. because they thought it would um, instill family values. I remember. Like they were really anthropomorphizing these penguins because yeah. they were saying, oh, well, penguins mate for life. They're monogamous. You know, they have these <laughs> families of penguins. Actually, they only mate for as long as it takes to to hatch the egg and then they find another partner they're more like serial monogamous yeah exactly but they're really they're just penguins right right we we can't really apply terms like serial monogamist or polyamorous or anything like that to penguins because they're just penguins they're no, just doing what they exactly. want to do and they're not even close to humans yeah. you know so where monkeys i agree have some closeness but you don't go applying that to you is he i mean the the, the dna the genome's just so different yeah there's no morality in their behavior i guess that's what no it's instinct right and you know as human beings like yeah we we have something different than them and now we're getting like really abstract but the point is you know penguins do not have family values right and they they probably don't even have gay or straight you know what i mean animals are not swans are not lesbians because two female swans will hang out together a lot no, you know, they're just lesbians, <laughs> and they are, or at least a lot of them will be. Yeah, right. But they, but like, 
I don't think animals are gay. Like, I don't think animals right. have an orientation. They're just doing behaviors. Right. You know, they're not, they don't have like an identity that's associated with that. that sure. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Sure. And people have this big temptation to say, oh, these animals are gay, but they're not really gay. They're just having sex in a way that feels good to them. Right. Right. And so, you know, maybe we can apply that to humans, right? Like maybe we don't have to be so defined by who we're, we're with, mm-hmm. right? Like there were supposedly these ancient, you know, human cultures that just didn't have gay and straight or bi. They, right. they just, you know, they had sex with whoever they, they were wanted, just, they right? Were kinda, they were pansexual. Pretty much, yeah. Like they didn't define themselves by who they were attracted to. Right. And so... I think that's interesting. Yeah, no, I agree. That's an interesting point. But I mean, the, the thing that, you know, that I want to get at is that, okay, so let's say monkeys do this, you know, well, okay, take again, the chimpanzee and the bonobos, the chimpanzees can be very violent, no question about that. But then the bonobos aren't violent, right? Like almost to, to just, they're where, very peaceful where they're not at all. And they show empathy, right? You know, even younger monkeys, uh, younger bonobos, they'll comfort their friends if right. their friend falls or something. Right. So if you're going to compare, which one do you compare humans to? You, you see my point? Right. If you're, are you going to compare it to the violent ones or the peaceful ones? Now myself, I mean, this is a little off topic myself. I think if we are close to some kind of animal, we're far more like the bonobos are than we are like the, the chimpanzees. I don't think violence is natural at all um and and i question you know i question a lot of i mean a lot of the study saying that the, well this is why humans they naturally do these these gender roles are, just, are normal yeah or and, they naturally do this violence when right i think that i think we as human beings like and this turned into a huge conversation which is great it's yeah no really it's interesting. good that's the sovereign tech i think as human beings we have the capacity for violence but we also have the capacity for peace yeah and probably a lot of it a lot of which direction we go depends on our experiences and the things that we see like humans are incredibly adaptable and we adapt to the environment that we're in especially as young people sure and so if we encounter a lot of trauma and violence in our young lives we're probably going to go more that direction as adults if we're yeah if we're not like consciously working on it and trying to be more peaceful and personally i I feel that's all nate all nurture Mm -hmm. and nate nature by nature i think humans are peaceful I, i i don't but do you think that? But don't you think they have the capacity to kind of go either way? They do. Yeah. But but I mean, like, but you're not. I don't think that you you like a baby comes out and a baby just instantly wants to um, stab you with a knife. No. You, <laughs> no, you, I don't. You think know so what either. I mean? But there's sure. people who say it's like I was born for war, you know, and all this stuff, and I and I think that is absolute crap. Yeah. You know, and I don't have any other way to really say it. Yeah, I mean, I personally would love to would love to think of human beings as closer to bonobos rather than chimpanzees however i think that you know the evidence that i see shows that we have the capacity to go to be more like either one right depending on a lot largely on our experiences sure but we also wonderfully have this rational mind where we can choose what we're going to do with our lives and we can choose our you know we can think we can be rational you know and we can choose what we're how we're going to live our lives yeah and we can heal from trauma, you know, and the things that we experience in the Absolutely. past. And I think we can choose that really every day. Like, yeah. uh, you know, um, I, I, I feel like I have to do this almost every episode now, but there's an episode of Star Trek called the taste of Armageddon from the original series. And there's like this big war going on. 
and Captain Kirk, you know, they're, they're asking Captain Kirk, he's like, you know, this is what we've always done. We've just always been at war. We've always been fighting. And Captain Kirk says, all you have to do is just say, I'm not going to kill today. And that's it. And, and, and that can just stop it. But anyway. I, Instead, I'm going to have wild monkey sex. That's right. That should be added to And it. Kirk would do that. Are you ready? I've never seen anyone so treated like a, a god in my life. Brian Sovereign as guest co-host tomorrow night. And so that should be a good show. Now on that note, uh, what we just we added just... Brian Sovereign. Okay, we haven't. Oh, is he good? He's, he's been in the audience. He's, oh, yeah, he's yeah, certainly got opinions on things. Yes. I'm so close to being like God. No one is above me. Okay. Absolutely no one. I don't take <laughs> orders from anybody. And I mean, that that's how much closer to God can you get? Is there anything he doesn't do better than everyone else? Oh, that's just his way of talking. He's one of the best. Break it down. Catch Sovereign Tech, the show about technology and how it can set you free with me, Brian Sovereign. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N at SoundCloud.com slash Sovereign Tech. Wow. It's a website of the week. It is time for Website of the Week. This is Brian Sovereign with you, joined by Stephanie Murphy, Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Which one am I? You're both. Okay. (laughs) And, well, never mind. I won't go into that. I just had a thought in my mind of two of you and... That's, yeah. Yeah. We'll save that for after the show. Okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, You're actually, you're kind of in the dark with a lot of this because um, you're you're sort of helping me on a little bit on the fly. And... Uh, so, so I haven't shared everything with you that we're going to talk about in this episode, but that's fine. And oh my, are you going to pull a surprise on me? No, <laughs> nothing that great. <laughs> anyway, but it is website of the week where I discuss a website um, you know that I find interesting, intriguing, whichever. And obviously, any of these things that we talk about will be link- linked to in the show notes. Uh, you can go to SoundCloud.com/slash Sovereign Tech or SovereignTech.com, uh, or of course you can go to Google Plus. You can go to G Plus.to/slash Sovereign Tech S O V R Y N. Anyway, this week's website of the week is really, really interesting. And Stephanie, I recommend and you check it out later because it's a lot of fun and it's by google and it's called how search works from algorithms to answers and it's this whole animated it, it just shows you okay this is how google does what it does when you go to google.com and you put in um you know you, you put in your you know you search whatever you're looking for um you know i mean i guess if even it works like this even if you type in porn and who would do such a thing i know i know and, and it's just this fun, like really interactive kind of kind of website. And again, it'll be linked to in the show notes. And it just shows you every step of the way what exactly, um, you know, how many pages are gone through like every second, um, you know, and it talks about that it searches the web. It searches over 30 trillion individual pages and is constantly wow. growing. Yeah. So when you when you type in something in Google and you get those answers instantaneously, it has searched 30 trillion individual pages in that time. Wow. And so th- how can it possibly show you how it's working? I don't understand. 
Well, what it, it has like these nice flash animations, this web page, mm-hmm. and like it just it shows like this line bouncing around um, back and forth, and and it's kind of tough to explain. But I really I think it's great. And is that and I want really how see it. is that really how it works, or is it like an artist representation? It's, it's an artist representation. They did something similar a little while ago for Gmail, but mm. you know it explains everything just just how it all works. Uh, and you just keep scrolling down and it, and it keeps, you know, goes into, uh, the index that it keeps track of everything for and how search can be far more faster. And it, and the thing I like about it is like when it starts to talk about the algorithms is everybody's so scared all the time that Google, like, you know, they shouldn't know what I want to search for before I even search for it. <laughs> but they're going through 30 trillion sites. It's like, give them a break. Let them know, yeah. you know, what, what you're looking for, <laughs> you know, make it easy on them for crying out loud. They're They're giving you this tremendous service. Um, I mean, I don't mind if, if people have security, you know, concerns, then they can address them. But, I remember people were pretty freaked out several years ago when Gmail started to become popular, right? When it would, um, put ads, um, on the sidebar, based on what was in the text of your email yeah there there is you know and i will let people know i will let my listeners know there is what's called the google opt-out cookie yep which will eliminate the ads mm-hmm. um you know or at least it'll make the ads just random and it won't be something they won't be searching your searches mm-hmm. essentially uh but this is just it's a fun little web page to look at and you just keep scrolling down so much to read very interactive there's little videos you can watch and I'm picturing, let me Google that for you, so I'll have to check this out myself. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, we'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. This is Brian Stobbard and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul. Poppers are part of the nitrite family of drugs. They've been used to help with angina or heart pain since the late 1800s, but they're also used currently as a recreational drug. Now, some men and women take them while having sex. Poppers cause the smooth muscles in the body to relax, including those around the vagina and the anal sphincter. Now, this helps if you're trying to accommodate an incoming penis or even a fist. Now, they make it easier to have rough anal sex, but that can also increase the chances of getting HIV. Poppers create a brief warm and relaxing feeling throughout the body. Some people say that poppers make them feel hornier and they make orgasms feel more prolonged and more intense. They can also cause temporary erection loss, serious headaches, and low blood pressure. And there's a recent report in a medical journal about possible vision problems in a subset of popper users. Now, poppers originally came in small glass vials which made a popping sound when people snapped the stem off which is how they got their name. Genuine poppers could be among the safer recreational drugs, but like all unregulated substances, you never really know what you're getting. Now, poppers can be fatal if swallowed instead of inhaled, and they can cause burns on the skin. Poppers shouldn't be mixed with other drugs. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. It is time for listener emails where I cover the emails that everyone sends in. You can send it into Sovereign Tech at Hush.ai. You can go to SovereignTech.com and you can put the comments right there. Um, 
Also on the SoundCloud page, you can actually leave comments on the episode at the specific point of the episode that you're wondering about, which makes it very easy for me. Because if you have a question about something I said, I can just go right to that second and I can and I can respond to it and you can write out what exactly your question is. And it's really, really great. And I keep uh, I keep you anonymous as far as, you know, your name and everything. Uh, so don't worry about that unless you want to be mentioned. Then I will uh, I will mention you. And this is, of course, a policy that I took from my guest, Stephanie Murphy, on her show, Pork Therapy, P.O.R.C. Therapy. So thank, thank you for you. being here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I thought this is a great question. Um, that, that you could really, I, th- I felt you could really have help with. And again, oh, this cool. one is from the SoundCloud page. Um, and it's, the question is, I'm very interested in the discussion about the ethical implications of eating meat. I totally agree that it is not possible to live as a human without killing other life, like the ants and amoeba in your example. Real quick, what what I said was, was that you know, I, that I didn't like killing other people that I don't believe in. I, and I take no part and I don't believe in the killing of another person ever. And, but I said, but just to be clear, I am, you know, I am an omnivore. I am a carnivore, you know, I do eat meat and that when people say it's like, Oh, don't hurt the animals. You know, you're going to hurt ants and you're going to hurt, you know, you're going to squish amoeba or something. You know what I mean? You can't not somehow hurt an animal. So that was that's what he was referencing when he said like ants or amoeba in my example. Yeah, that's an interesting concept because I think that there are lots of vegetarians out there who would say, well, you know, amoebas don't have central nervous systems. Ants, right. you know, probably can't even feel pain, right? And so when you're talking about something like a cow, which has a brain and a spinal cord and and it can feel pain, you can't argue with that. Right. Um, that's different than right. something like an insect or yeah. even a plant or a bacteria right Right. well the question asker goes on um however i can reduce the number of animals that die and the amount of torture that is afflicted on animals my gut reaction is that it is moral to try to reduce killing and torture as far as possible so yeah i mean my comment about the ants and amoeba and all that stuff is like you know these people all life is sacred you know and and Mm -hmm. i mean that that's just kind of a weird to me that's kind of a weird I don't see the logic. I mean, because like even plants are kind of alive after a fashion, you know. Sure. And in fact, I mean, there's a great meme I saw where a Venus flytrap, you know, eats flies. And, <laughs> right. So, and it and said so, vegetarians, even the plants think you're wrong. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> Something yeah, like that. that was the meme, and I and I thought that was that was very funny. That's not to pick fun at vegetarians. I no. people can eat however they want. I have no problem with. It. I used to. Um, I I can kind of relate to the all life is sacred thing because mm-hmm. I think I can see how, you know, especially as a as a biologist, right, or a biochemist, I can see how amazing life is at, at any level, whether you're talking about a bacteria that contributes to this giant gut microbiome in your body sure. or you're talking about, you know, a a a plant, a Venus flytrap or you're talking about a cow, right? Mm-hmm. Or even a dolphin or a human being or anything like that. It's all really cool and I can see the wonder that people associate with life. Yeah, absolutely. Um on the other hand, you know, if you if you start to think about sort of pain and suffering and where they fall in, into the equation, then you can start to see different shades of gray in mm-hmm. terms of different life forms um having their lives taken away or whatever. Because, you know, obviously an amoeba doesn't feel pain in the same way that a human being does or a cow does or a right. dolphin does or a cat or whatever. Right. 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 Yeah. You know, and 
I do like I get the I get the whole point because actually I think kind of the same way uh, about the torture that's afflicted on animals. Like when I when I buy eggs, you know, I make sure they're cage free and, you know, and, and I make sure like I'm, you know, getting grass fed beef and all, you know, things like that. Uh, you know, and, I do, too. Yeah. Although exactly. sometimes it can be hard to know. I yeah. mean, you do your best. That's the thing. Yeah. For me, the, the answer to this question comes down to I do my best to like the listener said, right. to try to minimize, you know, like, I don't want to waste um, animal parts, you know, if they're right. going to die and they're going to be my food. I don't want to let it go bad or anything. I want to eat it all and mm-hmm. enjoy it and use it, right? And um, I I would like to try to get uh, meat and stuff that's sustainably raised and is not going to harm the environment and it isn't going to cause a lot of suffering to the animals. Right. And happy animals are more nutritious, too. So that's like sort of a natural kind of reinforcement for that idea. Sure. It's not just that the animal is happier. It's also that it's going to benefit you more. You know, your well-being is going to be improved by eating animals that have more well-being in their lives. Right. And it's pretty safe to say, I mean, we're... I guess there's two schools of science on this. You know, there was a time in my growing up um, where I was a vegan, you know, and I was told the story that, you you know, this is what we naturally were. Of course, it was based on, in my case, I guess it wasn't really science. It was based on like religious aspects of, you know, that there was no sin on the earth and, you know, Adam and Eve, they, they only ate oh, plants. Gosh. They wouldn't eat. Yeah. Um, and it's, and we have the eye, our eyes in the fronts of our heads because, as in, oh, like um, predator animals, right? Yeah, there we'll you have, go. Hunters yeah. will have their eyes in the front, whereas prey will have them on the sides. Exactly. So if we only ate plants, you know, we should. If we were were prey, we should have them on the sides. But right. Anyway. Right. No. 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 That's a great point. I'm just and, talking about evolution. Yeah. No. That's a great point. But but that's the thing. But I do think there. I think I've heard. I mean, and I could be wrong. That a lot of vegetarians slash vegans do still think that yeah this is how we're this is how we're meant to eat mm-hmm. you know is this vegetarian or vegan diet and it's pretty clear to me from anthropology and from the evidence i mean it's the evidence is all over our bodies right from the shape of our teeth to the position of our eyes right to everything about us you know to our digestive systems we are omnivores we can eat pretty much a wide variety of things. Right. And we probably are best off eating a wide variety of things to get all oh, different sure. kinds of nutrients. I mean, you and I, we both eat the paleo diet. Now, there are vegan people who, you mm-hmm. know, who, who do vegan paleo, I guess. But right. anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Well, what I was saying is there's probably a range of what um, humans are, quote, meant to eat, mm-hmm. as in evolved to eat over millions of years right. of eating a diet that was within this range. Right. And there is no like the paleo diet, right? No. Like, there are diets that kind of mimic that are more like natural unprocessed foods and that are, you know, closer to the foods that maybe our ancestors would have eaten. Mm-hmm. But there's no one paleo diet. There's a range of different things. Um, and having said that, you know, it's pretty hard to make an argument that these chemicals that we can't pronounce and that tons of corn syrup that's, you know, artificially yeah. made because of government <laughs> subsidies is going to be optimally healthy for people. And some people who are vegetarians end up eating a lot of, you know, bread and pasta and pizza and right. and that and not a lot of veggies, right? Right. <laughs> for a vegetarian. And um 
So uh, where were we going with that? I, I don't really know. But I, I think the point was that there's there's a huge range in what people consume, mm-hmm. even if they call themselves, well, oh, I eat a paleo diet or, oh, I eat a vegan diet, right? right. You could be a pizza and pasta vegan or, it's, well, I guess you couldn't be pizza because it's cheese and it has, yeah. never mind. <laughs> that would work a, as vegan. You could we're, be a Wonder Bread vegan. <laughs> yeah, that would work <laughs> okay. as a vegetarian, not as vegan. Yeah. yeah, or or you could be like a vegan who eats tons of different, um, you know, plants and probably has a more complete nutritional array, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's just a big variety in what people mean. Um, but for me, you know, I've tried to learn about this and I've also tried it empirically. Right. Um, and from what I can understand about nu- about human nutrition, eating meat is optimal for human health. Right. Also, based on my own experience, I did a vegetarian diet for a couple of years, and it was a very unhealthy time in my life. And I tried really hard to get all the nutrients. You know, I was eating peanut butter and eggs, and I was eating, um, you know, not vegan, vegetarian, but I was trying to get all these protein sources from different foods, and it just didn't agree with me. I mean, that the physical effects, if I look at pictures of myself from that time, are startling. Yeah. You know, just totally different look, you know, yeah. kind of like l- losing my shine to my skin and my hair kind of fell out and got different textured. It was very obvious. Yeah. And I, now, you know, now on a, a paleo diet, I, I feel and look completely different. Well, and you so, look fantastic. I mean, I suppose that's anecdotal of me to say, but you look you. great. <laughs> I appreciate that, Brian. And you yeah. do too. I think you look Thank very, you. very healthy yourself, yeah, which I, is really attractive. Actually, I can kind of say the same thing is that, uh, thank you, is that... Uh, you know, I have pictures of me when I was a vegan slash vegetarian. It kind of shifted here and mm-hmm. there. But I was like, I was, I mean, I'm six foot one. I've been six foot one since I was th- like 12, you know, and, and I was as thin as a rail. I mean, it was so bad. Yeah. You know, and, and I look, I mean, I just, it, you, it looks terrible. You lost terrible. a lot of your muscle mass. Yeah. And then I, you know, I started eating meat when I got, got a little older and boom, suddenly, you know, everything just started to fill out. And, and I even mm-hmm. had, uh, you know, I had a woman say, wow, Brian, when, you know, when did you get looking like that? You know, because everything just, you know, there's more muscle mass, like you were saying. Right. And muscle is what gives us shape and definition and is adding to our human sexiness. And, yeah, and our ability. And our health. Sure. You know, it's very important for our health. And so what I hear both of us saying, Brian, is that, you know, we can, you know, we can experiment with our own diets and yes, it's one person, it's N of one, but for us, you know, what worked for us was not, um, vegetarianism and probably not veganism either. Like if vegetarianism didn't work, it's probably veganism is not going to either. Yeah. Oh, well, and you were a vegan, of course. I I was just a vegetarian, but that didn't work for us. And it was very obvious that it didn't work for us. And so at least for, for people like us, you know, our well being hinges on being able to access meat. Sure. Right. And so perhaps that creates um, somewhat of an ethical conflict if we would like to minimize the suffering of animals, if we care about that. But, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of wisdom in the idea that our first responsibility is to take care of ourselves. Yes. Right. If we're not healthy, if we're not happy, then we can't do anything. Right. What's the point of living? Right. Right. And so we we really have to make sure and ensure that we meet our own needs and meet our own needs. Of course, (laughs) it's a pun there. But uh, (laughs) I mean, if we, you know, plenty of fat and our brains are working really well because they work really well on fat, Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, maybe and humans are evolved for that. Yeah, exactly. Humans have evolved for that. It's maybe, different than monkeys, right? Maybe at our peak evolutionary condition, you know, with our peak diet, whatever that may be, we could figure out ways to not kill animals in the future. You know, if yeah. that's a big concern, but we've got to be at our best, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to do that sort of thing. Yeah, and you know, I think we can reconcile that, like that need for um, our taking care of ourselves and Mm -hmm. being optimally healthy and happy, it doesn't mean that we have to go around uh, slaughtering animals wantonly and leaving the carcasses to rot in the sun or anything like that. It means we can be conscious about it and we can try to do the best we can with, you know, the situation that we're in, which is that we have to get meat from living animals. We we can't grow it in dishes yet or anything like that. And who knows if that would be very nutritious anyway or very tasty. Sure. But so we can kind of try to help ourselves while also doing the least damage, I guess, as possible to animals, if that's something. Yeah, well, that's the point. I mean, I think it is important to, or not important, it depends on the person. But I mean, for myself, I like to leave as little bit of a, you know, notch on the ecology as I can. You know, I don't want to, just as much as I don't want anybody taking up my space, I don't necessarily want to take up their space. You know what I mean? And that goes for all kinds of, you know, not just humans. Um, so, yeah, so it's important to think about and where you're comfortable and where your happiness lies within all of that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I did want to get to, like, the point that, no doubt about it, we were, des- I, in my opinion, we were designed to, to eat meat. Yeah. I, you know, one last point. Sure. I would question, you know, the person who finds animals more important than themselves, who is willing to sacrifice their own well-being for the well-being of animals. Great point. Their self-esteem. Great point. We'll be back with more. Got an energy spike. Launch. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity, it is our last, best hope for peace. It is Babylon 5. You can watch Babylon 5 and experience the greatest show in television history. See the entire series completely free by going to the wb.com slash shows slash Babylon 5. Software of the Week. It is time for software of the week where I cover, you know, uh, great pieces of software that I think can be beneficial to my listeners or, you know, that just that, that tickle my fancy as this is a tech show. Oh my. oh my. Yeah. Tickling the fancy. And I am joined, as you just heard, by the lovely and amazing Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Thank you for being on. Hi. Thank you, Brian. Yeah. Always a pleasure. To, you've been you've been on the show before and it, and it was it was great great time so and i hopefully you'll be on more in the future too yes i would love that all right uh so this week's software this is now this is windows only okay and it works with all versions of windows i mean i think it even works with like windows 95 it goes all the way back um this will not do anything for my mac listeners or for linux listeners this is purely for windows and this is really important i call i I really consider this to be the wonder tool for windows and it's called C cleaner as in C the letter C and then cleaner. Okay. And it's at 
puriform.com slash cleaner. Uh, you could, that'll be in the show notes and you can link to it and find it. You can go to soundcloud.com slash sovereign tech and you'll find the show notes there or wherever you listen to it. If you listen to it on the YouTube page as well, or on the Google plus page, um, which is getting a lot of activity recently. And so what does this wonder tool do? And it is optimization and cleaning for windows. Can and I tell you what I picture when I hear C cleaner? What, what do you picture? I picture like, I don't know why, but Mario and Luigi on the bottom of the ocean floor with little sweep brushes. I love it. Walking and and then they're just sweeping up the ocean floor like they're cleaning the sea. There's they are a, sea cleaners. Probably my favorite Mario game. That's great. But probably my favorite <laughs> Mario game is Super Mario Sunshine, which is kind of rare. It came out for the GameCube that nobody apparently bought. And in that he actually has like this water tank for for a backpack and he cleans like the streets like he has to clean up paint and all oh, this wow. other stuff. so that's that's kind of humorous cool. that you say that but anyway yeah that's not that, that far off no not that far off <laughs> um now it's a little hard to, to really describe everything that this program does but when you download it and you install it um it is also portable just so you know you can you know you can use it like with portableapps.com which i talk about on sovereign tech a lot and it cleans up all your temporary files all your history your cookies it can clean up uh, your download history your history from um you know from your web browser and everything it does all that with with the web browser and some of the and some programs that are on your computer that like regularly access the web and use uh, temp files temp files are like they're these files and sometimes what can happen is is these files will save like your data that you know so that way pictures come up faster on a web page or the program accesses things faster that's what these temp files are for and sometimes the programs won't delete these temp files when you close the program is that or when the you cache, close the browser it's it... similar to cache yeah and what'll what'll happen know, is that's right okay kind. well the cache is part of this too not the so, right kind of nerd <laughs> Um, but these temp files can end up taking gigabytes and gigabytes of space on your hard drive. And they can really, it can get to the point where your browser and a lot of your programs that access the web are confused by, um, you know, all this information is trying to access at the same time. Um, and so it takes care of all that. Your computer will just suddenly fly. I guarantee it. The only, the only warning I have to give with this program, CCleaner, is that unless you tell it it's going to erase your passwords so if you have your all your passwords saved in your web browser for when you go to facebook your web you know you just it just goes to facebook and automatically logs you in that's going to go away and you'll have to redo it i think it's beneficial to do that um it also has a registry cleaner which windows is notorious for its registry which the registry in windows and every version of windows uses this um the registry is what tells tells windows what to recognize and what not to recognize and sometimes there's things that it forget or that it doesn't use anymore and all it ends up doing is just confusing windows this will get rid of all that it just that's why it's all called c cleaner it cleans everything up windows runs great go for it what does freedom mean Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Uh, 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 just a minute, Mom. 
Game Talk. It is time for Game Talk, my favorite segment of the show where I get to talk about video games. And Brian, they, stop playing those video games. Uh, j- 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 just a minute. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, I'm not your mom. Dr. Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's all right. <laughs> well, I'm glad we're on this segment because I didn't really have much to say about Sea Cleaner, but I found it very entertaining. Yeah. Well, I thought you, you got me. I was able to like actually talk about games in the last segment mm-hmm. just because, you know, fun. yeah, there you were with... Um, you know, a Mario reference. So that worked for me. Um, anyway, the first thing I want to talk about with uh, t- today is I actually, I got a game that I want to mention that, that, that people, if you want to check this out and go download it, do so it's totally, it's, it's free. There's some premium features that you can pay for to some degree later. And what this is, it's, it's Pac-Man. Now, do you like Pac-Man, Stephanie? Yes. Yeah. I do like Pac-Man. Yeah. I love Pac-Man. It's pro. I mean, maybe the best game of all time. Uh, and this is the original version of Pac-Man. This, now, here's here's the caveat. This is only for Android. It's only in the Google Play Store. It's totally free. And it's Pac-Man Plus tournaments. And so what they did was is they added in like this whole tournament um, system to it. And that's where you got to kind of lay down some some money if you want to, because you have to actually put in tokens, just like if you went. Oh, yeah, so cool. just, just in case you went to, you know, like a like an arcade back in the day yeah yeah but it's the original pac-man and if so you just want to play the go ahead in the tournament mode can you play against other people somehow yes oh, yeah well cool. well you're, you have like a, a ranking like a, oh. your points like a ladder ranking so you don't directly play against them. i see so but it's still it's really great i've played it already um and it, it's getting tons of downloads you know right off the bat this was just announced very recently um and again it's only for google play right now it's only for android and there's supposedly bandai namco bandai games they're they're doing a lot of exclusives just for android so if you have ios Sorry, but this is just so great that I had to mention it um, before I got into the uh, the other stories for Game Talk today. So, but yeah, I, I love Pac-Man. I mean, it still plays great. And I don't, I'm not such a huge fan of like, I mean, did you ever play it in the arcade, Stephanie? You know, I have memories, some of my earliest memories back in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom would go to the gym and she would take me with her and she'd be playing racquetball or she'd be doing aerobics. And I could play Pac-Man on the, they had these little arcade um, machines and you could play Pac-Man and you'd put in a quarter and you could play. And it was really fun. Awesome. The quarter went a long way back then too. That's it's true. more like a, a buck 50 now. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I think a token for now for this version of Pac-Man is like a dollar. But <laughs> oh I, man yeah i could be wrong about that but anyway it, it's yeah. a lot of fun they give you a bunch of free tokens when you first download the game and uh-huh. every day they give you new gifts um yeah i think that'll be real nostalgia for a lot of people yeah and we'll keep going on this nostalgia little run because this is very very interesting a couple of articles here and this one is this is from uh the verge and it's father hacks donkey kong this is the original donkey kong for daughter and makes pauline the heroine now interestingly (laughs) donkey kong the hero is mario Mm -hmm. okay most people a lot of people may not know that the hero is actually mario this is the first mario game everybody thinks the super mario brothers was actually donkey kong Mm -hmm. and you're and it's all about mario trying to save his girlfriend pauline and so this father you know well I'll, i'll read a little bit of the story here um when mike micah saw the disappointment on his daughter's face when she realized pauline wasn't a playable character in donkey kong he felt a call to action now that that 
that I get that because today all games it's it's just a big deal where you can choose what character you want to play. In fact, Mario Brothers Two was one of the first ones, and it lets you play Peach, which I thought was really great. Huh. Um, Princess Peach. Yeah, I know. Like Mario Kart, you could be pretty much any character yeah, from exactly. any of the Mario exactly. games. Exactly, and so you know, this little girl wants. No, I don't want to be the boy. You know, yeah, sure. I, and I, and I think that's pretty cool. Uh, so thankfully, Micah happens to be a competent developer. This is her father. And after a few late night hours spent hacking the NES version of Nintendo's classic, <laughs> he accomplished the role reversal his daughter had wished for. Mario was now under Donkey Kong's control, and Pauline was tasked <laughs> with rescuing the plumber in distress. Following the That's successful awesome. endeavor, yeah, uh, Micah shared some details of how he swapped the characters on a YouTube page demonstrating the hack. Uh, you you know, um, I think when people hear that for the first time, they're going to laugh because you can always tell when there's a gender double standard when if you switch the genders, it seems really odd. You know, it doesn't <laughs> seem like it, something's not right. Yeah. And yeah, like nobody bats an eye because it's a huge trope in video games of like the princess in distress and Mario is saving the male character is um, right is saving her. But when the roles are reversed, you know, when it's the female character saving the male character, then people laugh because it's really unusual because that just doesn't happen in video games. Yeah, generally. Now there is um, there is a uh, an example which is Metroid. Okay, the Metroid games, mm -hmm. where you do have a character who, from the get-go... Now, now, here's the thing, though. You don't know this. Okay? You don't realize that, that the character you're playing in Metroid, Samus Aran, is a woman until you beat the game. And then, uh. the, then the armor suit comes off, and she's in, like, this... She has, like, breasts and everything, and you just go, whoa. And it's awesome. And you're <laughs> like, wow, that's great. In fact, I've never known a guy to complain about the fact that when he did that... He, he's you know the whole time he was yeah playing that he was playing a, a woman. woman he was just like wow that was so badass uh -huh. you know and um, this also happened uh, another story occurred where uh, like a, a young woman she re she kind of redesigned the sprites on the Legend of Zelda mm -hmm. and the sprites being the characters and she made it so that Zelda which is the princess that Link's trying to save in the Legend of Zelda is actually saving Link now. <laughs> kind of, she was. She said, in fact, she was inspired by by the story of what this dad did for his daughter. Yeah, yeah. And I think you know, honestly, I think it's pretty great. Good, you know. And and in fact, you know, Mario Link could almost be like a lesbian. Sure, it's, it actually, you know? he could be kind. No, he could <laughs> be kind of, of like androgynous. androgynous you, know? you know, sure. Yeah. But you know, a, a quick point, Mario. If if his job is to like defend the Mushroom Kingdom. He sucks at his job because every every two, three years, there's a new game where he has to defend it again and Princess Peach gets kidnapped. In fact, I love there was a joke online for a while that said, you know, maybe Princess Peach wants to be with Bowser, which is kind of the main villain. And, you know, and, you know, maybe Mario's just got it all wrong and Mario's like this terrible villain. So, but, but anyway, I thought that was kind of cute. But, you know, how do you feel about that? I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, what are your thoughts on this idea of, you know, having female characters? Like when you, when you were growing up, you know, you had games that you loved. What, what did... Yeah, you know, it's, it's really interesting because I was actually thinking about this question earlier and the games that I remember being most um, eager to play were either first person games or mm -hmm. games that had a genderless like char main character. Ah, okay. Um so like I'm thinking of like kind of like puzzle games. Yep. Or like um games where it wasn't really obvious like I I told you um on the last Sovereign Tech that I used to play that Daleks game and oh, I yeah. guess like technically you're a male 
right? You're Doctor Who. Yeah, or, you're technically <laughs> Doctor Who, sure. But I didn't know that because you can't tell. It's a yeah, tiny. Yeah, it's, it's a just tiny this character. Little, like barely eight bit character. Yeah, yeah. So you can't. You really can't tell. Or like um, Brickles. You know, like the games where where you would have to like demolish the bricks with a ball or like trap a ball in a little area or something. Right. So I was more attracted to the ones that didn't have a character. I did. Um, at one point when I got a little older, I started playing a game called Commander Keen. Yep, I remember that. And he was a, a boy, but he was like a young boy. Yeah, well, he had a helmet on. I mean, that could be kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it didn't like instant, other than the name Commander Keen, and you just kind of assume a commander is a guy yeah, or a yeah. boy. Um, well, I knew I knew he was male, I guess, it, yeah. and it, it registered, right? Sure. Um, but... I, yeah, I don't really know. Well, you know, but I do wonder if the choices existed before. Mm-hmm. Before, like I said, Super Mario Brothers 2, which came out in like 80 or maybe 89 or 90. Um, you know, if games before had more female characters, mm-hmm. would, would there, there be, be more the, women in gaming? Yeah. Would there have been this like this crazy thing that everybody talks about that, you know, women don't play games or something like that, which isn't true. Yeah. But. Um, right. Maybe they're not playing because they don't see themselves represented. Right. Yeah. Maybe. You know. I mean, I I know when I was playing Commander Keen, it registered to me that he was a, a a male, but I didn't identify with him. Like I wasn't thinking like, oh, he's representing me. Right. I'm, I'm I was thinking like I'm somehow pulling his strings and I'm making him do this. Yeah, yeah. Right. And he's a little character guy. Yeah, it was kind right? of. A third but it person. wasn't like I am this character. Right. So maybe if there were more characters that women could identify with, they would enjoy, you know, they more of them would be into gaming. Yeah, who knows how much money these companies could have made, you <laughs> True. know. Uh, but anyway, well, we'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. This is Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Are you searching for a mouthwatering, all-natural, sweet and sticky treat? What if I told you it was also made by a chef who believes in freedom, just like you? You're not dreaming. This is real. Head over to mandrik.com. That's M-A-N-D-R-I-K.com. There you'll find George's famous baklava in classic and dark chocolate flavors. Mm. To those with special health needs, George's famous baklava also has a treat for you. Golden delicious, low-carb, gluten-free almond cookies. Order with PayPal or Bitcoins. In just a few days, your sweet treats will await you right at your doorstep. One more time, that's M-A-N-D-R-I-K dot com for George's Famous Bacaba. Hacker Stories. It is time for Hacker Stories, and this is where I get to talk about hackers or, you know, really the whole world within which they work. I mean, I, I can kind of, you know, this story that we're going to talk about um you know, I, I consider hackers good guys, and there's a point I'm going to make at the end of at the end of this article. But I found this very very interesting. This is something that that Stephanie I'm, today I'm being joined by Stephanie Murphy. Thank you for being on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is fun. Yeah, and um, we talked about this on Free Talk Live the other day, and you know this came up, and so I was like, yeah, you know, this is kind of an important thing. This needs to be brought up, and and like I said, I do have a point at the end of it. But um, do you have the story up? You're- I sure do, yeah. Okay. okay, so the headline, this is from RT. NSA Utah, quote, data center, biggest ever domestic spying lab. And it's just a recent article from the past couple of weeks. The biggest ever data complex to be completed in Utah in 2013 may take American citizens into a completely new reality where their emails, phone calls, online shopping lists, and virtually entire lives will be stored and reviewed. U.S. government agencies are growing less patient with their own country every month, first paying with cash, 
shielding your laptop screen, and a whole list of other commonplace habits was proclaimed to be suspicious. And if you see something, you are prompted to say something. And they're linking to an article about how uh, paying with cash or shielding your laptop screen was deemed suspicious. That was news to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, both of those things are things that I've engaged in. So I yeah, guess I'm same a here. suspicious person. <laughs> Must be a terrorist. Yeah. <laughs> then reports emerged that drones are being fetched for police forces. Now the state of Utah seems to be making way in a bid to host the largest ever cyber shield in the history of American intelligence. Or is it a cyber pool? Utah sprang to media attention when the Camp Williams military base near the town of Bluffdale sprouted a vast 240-acre construction site. Um, I remember there were people saying, oh, it's the FEMA camps. Well, it's not the FEMA camps, but it might be worse. Might be worse. (laughs) American outlets say that what's hiding under the modest plate of a Utah data complex is a prospective intelligence facility ordered by the National Security Agency. And then uh, under the subheader, cybersecurity versus total awareness. The NSA maintains that the data center, to be completed by September 2013, is a component of the Comprehensive National Cybersecurity Initiative. The facility is to provide technical assistance to the Department of Homeland Security, collect intelligence on cyber threats, and carry out cybersecurity objectives, reported reported Reuters. But both ordinary Americans and their intelligence community were quick to dub it a spy center. The Utah Data Center will be built on a 240-acre site near Camp Williams, Utah. Once completed in September 2013, it will be twice as large as the U.S. Capitol. Wow. So they're building this giant warehouse. The center will provide 100,000 square feet of computer space out of a total of 1 million square feet. The project launched in 2010 is to cost the National Security Agency up to $2 billion. Well, actually, it costs all of us that money because they steal it from us. Yeah, it's not costing them. (laughs) That's our paper. (laughs) The highly classified project will be responsible for intercepting, storing, and analyzing intelligence data as it zips through both domestic and international networks. The data may come in all forms, private emails, cell phone calls, Google searches, even parking lot tickets or shop purchases. This is more than just a data center, an official source close to the project told the online magazine Wired.com. The source says the center will actually focus on deciphering the accumulated data, essentially code-breaking. This means not only exposing Facebook activities or Wikipedia requests, but compromising, quote, the invisible internet or the deep net. Legal and business deals, financial transactions, password-protected files, and intergovernmental communications will all become vulnerable. Once communication data is stored, a process known as data mining will begin. Everything a person does, from traveling to buying groceries, is to be displayed on a graph, allowing the NSA to paint a detailed picture of any given individual's life. Any individual. Yes. Anyone they want to target, I guess. Yeah. With this in mind, the agency now indeed looks to be the most covert and politically, potentially most intrusive intelligence agency ever, as Wired.com puts it. William Binney, NSA's former senior mathematician gone whistleblower, holds his thumb and forefinger close together and tells the online magazine, we are that far from a turnkey totalitarian state. So there's a guy that's on, that was on the inside. It was on the inside. And he's saying, whoa. Yeah, this (laughs) is really draconian here. Yeah. Now, the only thing I thought would give me comfort about this was like, how could they possibly sort through all this data? And government is not known for their competence anyway. True. Um, Except when it comes to killing people uh, and stealing people's money. But (laughs) mining through all this data is going to be a huge task. 
but apparently they can just pick out, you know, on a graph, everybody's right. information. Well, you know, I mean, this is kind of, I actually didn't do this on purpose, but earlier in the show for website of the week, you can see how Google search works. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually provides the answer. How can you get through this? That'll mm-hmm. show you how. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Technology's there. Everybody is a target, they say. Before the data can be stored, it has to be collected. This task is already a matter of the past, as the NSA created a a net of secret monitoring rooms in major U.S. telecom facilities, a practice that was exposed by people like William Binney in 2006. The program allowed the monitoring of millions... So I guess they've seen my my sexting of uh, Brian Sovereign. Oh, my. uh, They're they're, on to us, Brian. That's why they're building the data center, because that is hot. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) The program allowed the monitoring of millions of American phone calls and emails every day. In 2008, the Congress granted almost impeccable legal immunity to telecom companies cooperating with the government on national security issues. Uh, Wow. By this time, the NSA network has long outgrown a single room in the AT&T building in in San Francisco, says Binney. I think there are 10 to 20 of them. This is not just San Francisco. They have them in the middle of the country and also on the East Coast, he says. Binney suspects the new center in Utah will simply collect all the data there is to be collected. (laughs) Virtually no (laughs) one can escape the new surveillance created in the U.S. for the war on terror. And funny how everything that they wage a war on just grows, <laughs> doesn't go yeah, away. Yeah, exactly. Never goes away. Which, in war, you're supposed to actually, like, win and mm-hmm. defeat. And, right. Yeah, well, they not. win when they perpetuate their existence. Yeah. Exactly. Some data, of course, would be crucial in the anti-terrorism battle, exposing potential adversaries. The question is how the NSA defines who is and who is not a potential adversary. Everybody is a target. Everybody with communication is a target remarks another source close to the Utah project. Now there's a little bit more to this, Brian, but well, are you, you ready to go live in the woods yet? Yeah. Are you well, ready you know, to become a hermit? I know, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the first thing I think is like, okay, how do they decide who's a target? I'm like, I'm half wondering, you know, I don't care for alcohol, but if someone goes to the store and buys a Heineken mm-hmm. instead of a Budweiser, which I, that's not even American anymore, you know, but would they say, well, they bought Heineken, Red Star. They're, you know, <laughs> that, that, that's, they're, they're not American. They're, they're not American. Right. So anyway, yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. It just sounds so scary. Yeah. You know, hearing all this. And there's a little bit more if, you, if you're willing to sure. finish it up. Yep. Breaking the unbreakable. Now the last hurdle in the NSA's path seems to be the advanced encryption standard cipher the advanced encryption standards cipher algorithm, which guards financial transactions, corporate mail, business deals, and diplomatic exchanges globally. It is so effective that the National Security Agency even recommended it for the U.S. government. Okay. So I guess they're going to be spending a lot of uh, um, resources to decipher our sexting. Brian. Right. Now, <laughs> the, yeah. <laughs> now, this is the point I want to get to with this, okay, mm-hmm. is that this is Hacker Stories. Look at what... They complain about the hackers releasing their financial information, releasing their private emails and all this stuff. What standard do they have to work off of? <laughs> Where can they talk? Oh, are you talking about Gucci fur? Gucci fur, all kinds yeah, of hackers, hacking anonymous into... hacking, Department of Defense, all this stuff. Yeah. Where, do, where does the government have room to talk about guys like Aaron Swartz, who tries to free information legally, mm-hmm. and yet, oh, no, no, you can't do that, but then they can, they can grab your grocery list. <laughs> This yeah. is my point, is that even when situations, I think, where because you have three types of hackers, black hat, white hat, gray hat, you know, black hat are like bad guys. If Those the, are the guys who work for the government. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I'm there's kidding. yeah, there's some fine. I lines. consider them bad guys. Well, anyway, I mean, all these hackers, you know, like when they say, "Well, I can't believe that they got Sarah," you know, they got this person's emails, and you know, they breached their privacy and all that stuff. Are you prepared to yell at the NSA while we're at it? That's my point. Mm-hmm. Is that anytime, even when you think it sounds like a hacker did something bad, let's let's put it under the standard. Let, you know, let's see what's the premise. Mm-hmm. And again, would you hold that same that same uh, standard on the government? This is Brian Sovin with Stephanie Murphy. We'll be right back with more. Oh yeah! This is Stephanie Murphy, Sovereign Tech Producer. You may know me from this show, but did you know that I have my own podcast? It's called Pork Therapy. Pork Therapy is a bit different from other shows. We cover current events, big ideas, and even relationship issues, all through the lens of how we can get more freedom in our lives. Oh, and you'll love Sex and Science Hour. Join me on my website, porktherapy.com. That's P-O-R-C-therapy.com. Now back to Sovereign Tech. doing i can't believe i caught you again you know jesus doesn't approve of this little habit of yours i know baby i know it's wrong but it feels so right you know it's amazing well it ain't yeah <laughs> but i've been doing it since i was 12 this years old this is all you <laughs> it's, it's all me for anyone that, that nature, hasn't known that me. i've announced it a couple times but in the baby, show this whole I don't intro ever want to stop it's not looking me at tech talking websites, to you it's you talking yourself video games <laughs> and just shifting software it. or amazing. any of that stuff well then I'm leaving. Okay. Bye. Pick of the week. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Yeah, we're we're we're, uh, we're shifting, sh- shaking things up a little bit here on this episode. That's what we do best. That's right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, just real quick before we go into pick of the week, where I get to talk about pretty much whatever I get want to talk about, or my guest, uh, which my guest today, uh, Stephanie, you know, gets to you know gets to maybe choose, uh, but we both kind of chose this. But before I get into it, you know, I don't want to say with with hacker stories. I just want to really quickly add in that, you know, I don't believe in fighting fire with fire. Okay, you know, that like because one person looks in that the other person should look back in or whatever, you know, as far as privacy goes. But I just want people before they instantly go those evil hackers. Let's let's look at exactly who's who has the moral high ground here or who has, you know, is the morality universal between the two? And you'll probably find that it isn't. So that's my point. Anyway, it's pick of the week. And, you know, also something for those that don't know, Stephanie is my partner she is my girlfriend really you you think they didn't know about that Uh, well you know this is something this show is playing in over 50 countries now oh wow yeah it's yeah i guess there are a few more important things going on in the world huh right and and in those 50 (laughs) countries um you know there is the chance that some of these people are just picking up as you know like from just a few episodes ago when uh i had some uh, fantastic international guest uh, mike elgin the other a couple weeks back and um, so, you know, if they don't know, you know, you, you are, you know, we are, we're we are, lovers, we're lovers we're together. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. And recently we've been watching this show. It's a show I've seen before, at least most of it. And, uh, but I kind of, I kind of goaded you into seeing it and the show is ancient aliens. <laughs> I wouldn't say you totally twisted my arm on no. it. Um, you got me interested by telling me some intriguing little lead in stories, <laughs> <laughs> that I wanted to know more about. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I have, I mean, this is something I'm sure a lot of my listeners do know is that, uh, I'm rather well versed in religions, conspiracy theories and history, things like that. And so I've talked about a lot of these subjects with you in the past. And oftentimes these ancient alien theories, or at least parts of them. Yeah. Would crop little up. Pit, bits and pieces. Yeah. Seem yeah. To crop and so up. finally we're just like, you know what? You need to see that you need to like really see it, not just be told you need to see what this stuff looks like. Now, admittedly for me, when Ancient Aliens came out, it came out in 2010. And it's a series on the History Channel. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a yeah. documentary series. It's serious. You know, they're, they're, this isn't like a mockumentary or whatever, um, or docufiction. They docu take it seriously. <laughs> yeah, they, they take it very seriously. Um, I actually knew most of this already. Uh, I had done this kind of research. I was I was accused of being part of a conspiracy when I was younger. And it led me into looking into these things. Can like, you tell that story? Because you've—I know you've alluded to that a couple times, but well, or do I, we not have time here? No, we we should have time. Um, what happened was is that you know I used to go to like science fiction conventions when I was young, and I'd go to all these places. And I am a Jew from New York, and uh, you know I I could care less about my Jewishness really, but anyway, it is what it is in the popular context. That's what I am. And, uh, you know, I'm a person that some degree of means, especially even when I was younger and I got accused of being a lizard Jew. Okay. I got accused of being, I'm shaking uh, my head. Yeah. I got accused of being a reptilian <laughs> that worked for the bankers. That was the, like the Rothschilds. And I was, you know, part of controlling the world and all this stuff, you know, the, and, that led me into looking into a lot of this stuff. Like what? Because I mean, when someone walks what up to you, what the hell are these people talking exactly, about? When someone walks up to you and says, you're, you're one of them. One of what? You're one of them lizards. What the hell? You know, I mean, it sounds like something from V, but these people aren't kidding, you know? And I, oh, I have a hard time imagining what that was like. Yeah. I'm really sorry that you no, experienced yeah, that. Yeah, actually, I mean, the first time, actually, I remember, I mean, the guy was, like, screaming. And he was, like, this big guy, you know, he kind of had the shirt coming. I don't, I don't mean to insult him so much. But, he, you know, he had the shirt where, like, his gut was hanging out the bottom of the shirt, you know. Uh, and, I mean, just, like, this real, this guy probably never left the basement. And <laughs> it was, you know, and just... He had all the time me. in the world to watch oh, yeah, David yeah, Icke yeah. movies. But he, he, right, exactly. And to David Alex Icke Jones. is, yeah, and listen, to, yeah. And, you know, he, he, he went to a lot of these things and he had his kind of own little cadre of people, you know, and they just start spreading all this kind of rumors. Now, I mean, the convention scene today is so freaking huge. What, with, what did they say? They saw your scales or something? I mean, what, what, what were they spreading about you? There was no joke. There was one time where this guy, not, not the same guy, this guy, his, his Eric, Eric, Redford, I think his name was. Anyway, he he like started screaming, and it wasn't it wasn't just me. There was other people too. He said William Shatner was the same thing. I mean, he he said it to like oh, a lot you're of, lumped a in with William Shatner. Yeah, I mean, which great company. I'll hang <laughs> yeah, out with him anytime. You, you know, um, but he he'd like start screaming. He's like, look at him, look at him. Their 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 gills are blinking because <laughs> one of the ways one of the ways you you know that you're one of the ways that you know if a lizard person. You know, is a lizard person wow. is that they they breathe through their eyes, and so what happens is they're like their eyelidal, um, you know, will right. go they horizontal. Have a, they have a third eyelid that's clear, yeah, and it goes over right. Their it's eye. a membrane, yeah, that's horizontal. I don't think and, that's even breathing though, but that just shows the ignorance. Yeah. Of these anyway, right. <laughs> wow. Re regardless, um, so anyway, I guess that's a good story to tell. In that, this is how far some of these people that like say watch ancient aliens or believe in it can go. Like, that's how far off the deep end you can run. I still haven't seen the, the connection with the reptilians on the few episodes that we've watched. I don't think they ever talk about them. 
Mm. Like, I, I think they're just so scared of going into that David Icke territory. Thing. Now, the show's gone five seasons, mm-hmm. which is impressive. Um, you know, to, to get five seasons out of really such a niche topic. Oh, you it's know, niche. Yeah, yeah, it's niche. <laughs> but but it's interesting now. But here's the thing. So you watch the first step. Ep- you, you watch the first episode with me. And I seem to remember you were you were shocked. You were like, whoa, wait a minute. A lot of that made sense. <laughs> I don't know if I said a lot of it made sense. No, no, that, that okay, was the look. It's, it's all relative, right? So yeah. I was, uh, you know, I had a uh, unfortunate religious upbringing, and I was taught a lot of these Bible stories, especially from the Old Testament, because I was brought up Jewish. Yeah. And I remember just the way that I learned them, none of it made sense to me. It was all right. this really strange, superstitious sounding, just unbelievable stuff. And the language was old timey. I just didn't understand it. You know, I couldn't make head or tail of it, but I knew that it scared me because of the the adults that were telling me, oh, you've been cursed because you're a woman and so forth. And God is really scary and he can smite you at any time. And if mm. you better be nice to him and so forth, and you better, you know, kill your firstborn son if he tells you to and so forth. And so... And sorry, maybe I was confusing the firstborn with Abraham and Isaac, but anyway, no it, yeah. it, it's a violent God, right? Yeah, it's a yeah. scary, violent, angry God yes. who claims to love you at the same time, which is total right. mindfuck. When so, instead he kills millions or at least thousands of people. Whole cities. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this stuff was scary and I couldn't make sense of it. And so and eventually I reached an age where I had sort of the mental fortitude to say, I don't believe this stuff. This mm-hmm. is BS. You know, it's not true. And it doesn't make any sense. And I can reject it wholesale. And, you know, but then when watching something like some of these episodes of Ancient Aliens, I just found myself thinking, like, you know, some of the the context that they're framing this stuff in, I could almost believe, like, it almost makes sense if you're thinking about it as though the Bible is like this historical document and, yeah, and it's some like, of these things are describing ancient extraterrestrials. The best way that ancient it, humans could. Yeah, in the in the way that made sense to these people at the time and right. the way that they could put it into words. And so what I basically think of it is that it makes more sense than God. It makes more sense than the supernatural stuff. That's not saying much, yeah. but it makes more sense than the supernatural stuff. Yeah. I mean, so to give you an example of, of what we're talking about, um, we learned the story of how, you know, the Israelites got exiled from Egypt. They were sla- enslaved in right. Egypt they're, and then they left. They took off after yeah, they're the, in the wilderness for 40 years trying to get to the land of milk and honey. Yes. They're wandering around in the desert for 40 years. Right. And so during this time, how do they survive? And we were taught, you know, through the story of Passover and all that stuff, that they received manna from heaven, from God. Right. And God gave them manna from heaven on the, you know, on the uh, six days of the week. And then, the you know, the last day they got a double portion and then he rested on the seventh day and that was the Sabbath. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when I was learning about this stuff, it didn't make any sense to me. So what I kind of pictured was like chicken falling from the sky. <laughs> like, um, I thought manna was like some kind of bird. I don't know right. why, but, but they never told me what it actually was. Right. They just said, well, it was manna from heaven. And yeah. I said, okay, well, what is food that comes from the sky? I guess birds. Yeah, exactly. So maybe I that's think it's why. it's a logical correlation, really. Although chickens don't really fly, but anyway. Not that much. Yeah. <laughs> chicken was the only real bird that I was <laughs> familiar with eating. So I was picturing like pieces of chicken falling out of the sky, uh-huh. people in the desert catching them before they hit the sand and eating them. And, <laughs> And they survived on the chicken. Right. 
But what Ancient Aliens was saying was that from some of these descriptions in these like apocryphal texts that didn't, well, didn't the, make it into the... Yeah, and Kab- Kabbalistic texts. And the Kabbalah, right? Yeah. yeah. So there were some people who in the 1970s like um, pieced together... Uh, these some of these other texts that weren't in the Bible and the you know with the Bible story and what they were thinking was the way that that this thing was described there was a machine that was basically a reactor for um for for making algae for growing algae and it had some kind of you know uh, power source right. that could have possibly been. Um, a nuclear reactor or that something like, like that that was housed in the, in the Ark, Ark of the, of the Covenant. Covenant. Yeah. I mean, this shit gets wild. Yeah. I mean, it's but, crazy. But, but it made more sense exactly. than chicken falling out of the sky. Right. It made a degree of sense. <laughs> and in fact, even this is the Mana Machine. Yes. And good luck. There's a whole book written about this in the 70s. Good luck getting it. It's $500 on Amazon. That's yeah, how it's rare called the Mana Machine. It has right. drawings of this thing. Exactly. Had, they some even scientists made a model. actually worked out how this could actually be yeah. um, consistent with these ancient writings. Yeah. And and that the only thing you very, would ha- the only thing you would have to believe is that ancient extraterrestrials gave this technology yeah, to the gave Israelites. It to them. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so you know, it, it's it's wild stuff. You know, things like that. But then you see things like Puma Punko, which is a city where and you, and you can look this up online. Yeah, we're all over the place. Well, but sure, it's, but yeah. there's like these H blocks. There's like these, you know, there's the way the city's like built, this ancient city a few yeah. thousand years ago. There are these blocks there that like modern stonecutters say that they couldn't even really make with nope. these, with the modern and There's techniques. like these like perfectly drilled holes, all this stuff yeah. that just totally defies explanation by anybody. Yeah. Not, not just, I mean, ancient alien theorists, you know, they, that's what they call themselves. You know, they're ancient <laughs> they're astronaut giving themselves theorists. themselves a lot yeah, of credit they, there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, they... The, you know they say that uh you know they have their theories that it was aliens that built it and whatever but no one can explain it yeah you know and so it is very no one even tries to explain it but the point i like about for me what i like about the show is that it just keeps raising so many questions like no what if it's this what if it's this because i think i i do feel that with like ancient texts there's some truth in there you know that 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 humans were writing something down that was mm-hmm. pretty close, especially when you consider like and they found it important enough to write write down exactly I mean, right? yeah and, and when you take things like you have Noah's flood, but then the, the Sumerians have a flood as well, which supposedly that was the aliens creating humans as a slave race and then wiping most yeah. of them out and yeah. then they I got mean, this, soft, this goes way and out the, there. the ark was like a genetic engine a genetic bank instead of actual animals on a boat yeah but I mean you you can't <laughs> you can't deny that it really does make you think. You know, like that, that, I mean, it makes you think hard, you know, like that, like, well, not yeah, that hard. not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to think too hard about That's it, but right. it is very, awesome. it's very entertaining. It's entertaining. And it makes more sense than the, right. the stuff that they laid on me in Hebrew school. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, <laughs> uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for being on. You can check out Stephanie's show at pork therapy, PORC therapy.com. Thanks, Brian. This yeah. was really fun. Yeah. And I uh, love doing shows with you. Oh, I, I love having and you, you on. you can hear us every Sunday night on Free Talk Live. That's right. And uh, this has been Brian Sovereign. You've been listening to Sovereign Tech. See you next week. This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds. Nerds.